with us. You know, in Louisiana, one thing that we understand is storms, correct? We understand storms. It, people who are from Oklahoma understand them too, for, for sure. But, uh, you, you know, last week or a week and a half ago, I was in Nashville on some family business, and I saw on TV all these floods, and I had no idea where it was. I said, man, that is terrible. And then it, I, I found out it was our own state, just incredible, those storms, how they just came in so quickly. And, and 11 years ago, uh, Hurricane Katrina hit, and then right a month later, Hurricane Rita. We understand storms and how how they're a part of life, but how devastating they are. And, and the industry or the people who work in um, telling us about storms and preparing us for them, that is such a crucial in, uh, industry. That, that's why one thing makes a tornado so dangerous. You don't get a, a week's advance. A tornado will be coming to your neighborhood next week. Uh, it, but with hurricanes and stuff, we do sometimes, we get, a, we get warning and how we listen to that and how we respond to that is just huge. Well, this morning we're going to be in, in Matthew 14, and we're going to look at a different type of storm. We're going to look at the storms that we, we encounter in life. And, and here's my first point where I want to begin with. We all get hit by life storms. Every person in here, no matter who you are, you face troubles. You face heartaches. You face pains. You face storms. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to break the storms into two categories this morning, and this isn't all the categories there is, but these are kind of important things. One is we create storms for ourselves when we get out of God's will. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, our greatest desire is you leave here this morning, you give your life to Christ. We'd love for you to join our church. We'd love for you to be baptized. We'd love for you to give a million dollars a week. Amen? But if we never saw you again and you gave your life to Christ, that'd be the greatest day ever for you, and it'd be great for us. So before you're a Christian, you don't understand it, but you're outside of God's will for your life. But as a Christian, many of us, listen to me, Christians, you belong to Christ, but you're not living like you belong to Christ. And when we get outside of God's will, we disobey God, we, we walk into a storm, we create storms, we find out where the tornado is, and then we go just lay there like this, like those dumb people who chase them. Let's go and see how close we can get to the tornado before it blows our car off the road and out of the world. You create storms when you get out of God's will. How many of you remember who Jonah was? That's not somebody in Shreveport. Jonah, the prophet in the Old Testament. Remember, God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to them. And Jonah said, God, that is a great idea. I'm going to send one of my deacons. I'm going to Spain, 2,500 miles the opposite direction. And then God said, well, you're not going to get away with this. You're going to end up in a fish. Remember, he ended up in a fish for three days. And then Shazam, he got revived and he was ready to go to Nineveh. You see, I'm praying that God will put some of you in the belly of a catfish in Darbone for three days and you will come back fired up for Jesus. Amen? Jonah created his own storm when he disobeyed God. Sometimes it's not in big ways. It's not ways people notice, but God's telling you to do something and you're not doing it. You're creating a storm for yourself. Some of us, it's big ways. You know, we're married, but we're committing adultery and we're getting away with it for a little while, we think, or we're doing things we shouldn't do. We're out of God's will, and when you get out of God's will, no matter how much money you have, power, influence, you are creating a storm for yourself. You're playing with a loaded gun. I know this from personal experience. That is the truth. But here's the second thing, and the thrust of the story this morning, 
we can be in the middle of God's will. You can be in God's will and in the middle of a storm. Now, see, that's real important because a health and wealth preacher is not going to tell you that. But a health and wealth preacher is not telling you the truth. You can be in the middle of God's will and the middle of a nightmare. There's no question about that. It's very, very important. Verse 22 in Matthew 14. If you have a Bible, it's there. If not, it'll be on the screens. Immediately, he, being Jesus, made them, this is crucial, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, what had just happened? Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And it was a great celebration time. In fact, this story is told Matthew, Mark, and Luke that they were going to try to make Jesus king right then. And he knew it wasn't time. So he sent the people away. He went up to the mountain to pray all night. And he told the disciples, he said, you get in the boat. You go to the other side of the lake, the other side of the sea. And you notice in verse 22, it's very important. It says, Jesus made them. In other words, it was God's will that they do this. The, 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 The biblical word there for made literally means that it, Jesus forced them to almost. I mean, he pushed them. He got them, and he said, you were absolutely going over there. Now, I want to show you uh, a couple of pictures. One is a map of the Sea of Galilee. In Jesus' day, Palestine was divided in three sections. There was Galilee up here. This is where Jesus grew up. There's Nazareth. This is the sea. We'll go back in a moment. In the middle was uh, the Samaria, Samaria the, the enemies of the Jewish people. And then down here was Judea, where Jerusalem was. This is where they are. And this is the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Lake of Gennesaret, another place. It's 14 miles long. And in its peak, it's about seven miles wide. They're probably somewhere up around here. We have a picture of it. And the picture's significant, too. You see these mountains here. These mountains created almost like a funnel. This sea is notorious for for terrible storms getting whipped up on it just instantaneously. Water's smooth, everything's great, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, a storm comes up. Three years ago, Cindy and I were in Israel. The church gave us that opportunity. We were over there. We were going to take a tour boat on the Sea of Galilee. You got to do that. So we got down there, and they said, well, we don't know. You can't right now because there's a storm out at sea. 30 minutes later, the water was perfectly calm, and we're out there on the Sea of Galilee riding around looking to see if Jesus might be out there walking on water. He wasn't at that day. But the sea was notorious for its storms. Now, so they're out probably four, you know, two or three miles at least out to sea. Look in verse 23 and 24. Now, first of all, remember, they're in the middle of God's will. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way. Again, probably two or three miles from land. Two or three miles on the highway is not far. It's a long way in a boat in the water with a storm. They were beaten by the waves. That means they were tossed and turned and, and, and the waves were torturing them basically. For the wind was against them. The, against means contrary or antagonistic. Folks, they're in God's will. They're right where God wants them to be. They're getting beat up. They're getting kicked around. And they're facing antagonism and contrariness. I want to tell you this morning. You can be exactly where God wants you to be. And it'd be brutal right now. And let's look in verse 29 and 30. Or excuse me, 28 and 29. It says, uh, verse 29, and he, and he said to Peter, come, get out of the boat. And Peter walked on water. We'll see this more in a moment. Verse 30. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Now, here's another cool thing. Peter's going to walk on water just like Jesus did. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he gets out there. And by the way, Peter knew this before he got out of the boat. But there's waves, big waves, water crashing. It's bad. But who was the one that told him to get out of the boat and come walk on the water? Who was it? It was Jesus Folks, here's where a lot of young Christians get tripped up. You give your life to Christ. He's changed you. He's saved you. He's filled you full of joy. And then all of a sudden, life just falls apart on you. And you go, man, this Christianity thing is terrible. I don't know if I want to do this. There's no way I can be where God wants me to be. Check your heart and make sure you're in the right spot. But I'm telling you, this is one of the most important lessons that you can learn. When you get in God's will, you're going to get kicked. Satan's not coming after the people he's already got. He's not coming after the Christians who aren't interested. He's coming after the people that are trying to live for God. You grambling football players, let me give you a thought this morning. I played football for many years. I played one year in college. And I remember when I went off to college, I was a freshman. First time I'd been away from home, about five hours away from home, I was getting killed. I was a high school hero, and then I became a college zero. Overnight wonder to an overnight disaster. I called my mom and daddy every day. I had to go to a pay phone in the cafeteria. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have phone in our dorm room. The rich kid across the hall did, but he was the rich kid, so he was snooty and wouldn't let us use his phone much. I said, I want to come home. I said, this is hard. These people aren't nice to me. These coaches, they were so nice when they recruited me. They're possessed now. (laughs) Can I hear an amen? (laughs) I'm serious. They were just, when they were recruiting, it's like, this is the greatest, happiest place on the face of the earth. And then when we got there, it's like, get your sorry tail down there right now. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness gracious. I'm getting some witnesses. Don't look back, coaches. (laughs) But you know what? I was exactly where God wanted me to be. Maybe you don't need to be at Grambling. Maybe you need to be go on to the NFL. But I don't know. Some of you are right where God wants you to be, and it's brutal. Some of you got kids may not be playing football. This father going to go off to college. They're going to call you every day wanting to come home. But they're exactly where God wants them to be. Buy into that. But you need to be where God wants you to be. Some of you are trying to, you're rowing the boat. You need to be walking on the water. Some of you are trying to walk on water. You need to get back and start rowing. You just make sure where you're supposed to be. But know this, even in the middle of God's will, there can be terrible hard times and tough times and storms. So what do we do? Number two, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Someone said, when it comes to storms of life, You're either in one, you're coming out of one, or you're headed into one. (laughs) Some of you are going, I ain't nothing wrong in my life today. Call me in a month. (laughs) Get cocky. (laughs) God's hearing you too. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Number one, lean into Jesus, not on your own understanding. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. Now, 
the fourth watch was not a particular type of uh, Rolex or Timex they wore. It, what that meant was is they divided the nights into four different sections. The, the guards changed at 6 o'clock to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to midnight, midnight to 3, and 3 a.m. to 6. So this is about 4 in the morning. You notice it says Jesus came what? Up on a trolling on his boat? No. Walking on the sea. Verse 26 and 27, I love this. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. The word ghost means an aberration. And these sailors, many of them were sailors, they were superstitious. But I don't care. Listen, the Bible does not say they had been drinking. They weren't in Colorado. Marijuana was not legal. And out comes, in the middle of this brutality, this storm, someone walking on the water. How many of you would scream like a little girl? That's what these guys did. But here's the cool thing in the story. They were missing who it was. It wasn't a ghost. It was Jesus. Now, let me tell you. Here's what trips a lot of us up in Ruston, in Grambling. We got universities, we got educated people, we got intelligent people, we got wise people, and that's great. Some of you trust that more than you do Jesus. And you're trying to understand everything, and you can't understand everything. Well, I'm pretty smart. I don't doubt you're smart. You're a flea compared to God, and I'm not even a flea. I'm a flea's baby. You're smarter than me. But you don't have it all figured out. And so your life's falling apart and you're trying to figure everything out. Don't try to figure everything out. Lean into Jesus. I was reading in my personal Bible reading this week out of 1 Kings chapter 11. It's about King Solomon. The Bible says no one ever, including you or me, was smarter than Solomon. I mean, this is the guy you want in the press box, Coach Fobbs. He knew what was happening. The wisest guy ever. 1 Kings 11 Here's where his wisdom falls. It says he had 700 wives. How many of you men think that was wise? I'm going to tell you, coach, the men here are sissies. They will just sit, they will look down. Women, how many of you would want 700 husbands? See, my wife's over here, amen. And that's why women were told to be silent in the church right there. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. What's a concubine? That's a legal chick on the side. And I'm reading that. <laughs> Those don't exist anymore, men. Okay? Follow me? And so I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, he is not the wisest man ever. And then I'm thinking he was. Because you get mad at her. You say, I'll see you in about a year and a half. Bring wife number 42 here, please, right now. But see, here's the rest of the story. The Bible says Solomon in all his wisdom disobeyed God. He got away from God. See, your wisdom is not better than God. So don't try to figure everything out. Man, life is killing you. It's pouring down on you. Lean into Jesus instead of trying to figure everything out. How many of you have to figure it out? I do. That's my problem. I'll try to figure it, and you can't. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Read that last part out with me. And lean not on your own understanding. Here's the second thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not the storm. Look at Jesus, not the storm. This is so hard and so important. Verse 28 and 29. 
it says, And Peter answered, Lord, if it's you, not a ghost, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he's walking on the water, and he came to Jesus. You don't think this is cool or a big deal? Try it this afternoon. I'm not talking about two foot of water. I'm talking about go find a swimming pool. If you can't swim, don't do this, please. Peter's walking on water. Is that not great? Peter's walking on the water. But look what happens in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. Peter's eyes are on the Savior. He's walking on the water. Peter gets his eyes on the storm. He sinks. The word saw in your Bible means not only to visually see, but it means your mental vision. It's your perception. It says the wind, and the word wind means mighty or boisterous. Listen, the wind was mighty and boisterous when he got out of the boat. Nothing had changed circumstantially. The wind was bad when he said, can I come? And Jesus said, come. He started sinking not because his circumstances changed, but his vision changed. Folks, some of you are struggling, you're going to be struggling. You don't ignore the problem. You can't pretend like it doesn't exist, but your focus has to be on Jesus. My daddy told me when I started driving, he said, son, when you pass an 18-wheeler, don't look at the 18-wheeler. So what did I do the first time I'm on the highway? And what do you do? You drift into what you focus on, you're drawn to. What you focus on, you're drawn to. Several, uh, a month or so ago, Cindy and I are in Arkansas, and we're going up a mountain. And we're behind a log truck for like 80 miles, and those logs are, it looks like every time they're getting looser and looser, doesn't it? And you're just knowing decapitation. I mean, it's going to come through, and it won't hurt anybody in the car but me. And, and I don't want it to hurt anybody else. So we finally we get to a passing lane. So I'm passing this truck, going up this mountain, and, and here's these other cars coming head on. And I'm passing this truck, and we're all going 70, and what am I doing? I'm looking at the truck, and I'm looking at the traffic. And for about one second, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is it. And then I thought, focus on the road ahead of me. Don't ignore the truck. Don't ignore the traffic. Focus on the road ahead of you. Coach, when I played football, I was a running back in high school. That was like five pounds ago. And <laughs> thanks for the vote of confidence there. And they always told us, don't look back if you get in the open. You get the ball, you break through, don't look back because they're coming. They're coming after you, the bad guys, right, the defense. So don't look back. No, a good running back or receiver can look some to cut away. I I wasn't a good one. So I had to look at the goal line. Look at the cheerleader at the end of the goal line. Don't look back because they're coming. This is a true story. I was a junior in high school. Our offensive line busted open a hole. I'm going for a 75-yard touchdown. There's nothing in between me and the end zone but Jesus and the grass. And Jesus was for me. I'm thinking this is going to be unbelievable. I mean, what the girls are going to ask me after the game, the newspapers, you know, I I mean, it was going to be great. Well, I got about 35 yards down the field, and somebody caught me and just rammed me into the ground. But still, it was a 35-yard run. I was very proud. I'm not still proud, obviously, a few years later about that great, super great run. But uh, we got home that night, and I asked my mom. This is a true story. I said, Mama, did you stand up and holler when I got out in the open? She said, nope. Okay. Well, she had spilt her popcorn or something. I, you know, I didn't know what it was. I said, well, 
why? She goes, I knew they were going to catch you. <laughs> True story. And you wonder why I have problems. You, you wonder why I'm not normal. And, but here's the truth. They're coming. The devil's coming. The problems are real. Focus on the goal. What you focus on is what you're drawn to. Don't ignore or deny the problems. Keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus in the storm. That's some of the greatest advice ever. What we focus on, what we hone in on is is what we're going to be drawn to. Lance preached here several weeks ago. Lance, I I heard one of the things you said is keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. You know, that's a great word. And Jesus is also called the prince of of peace. So I want to tell you this. Keep your eye on the prize and keep your eyes on the prince. (laughs) You're in the middle of the storm. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Lastly, I want to tell you this. Jesus will see you through the storms. If you'll let him, if you'll get on his team, if you'll live for him, If you'll follow him, Jesus will see you through the storm. Now, I want to give you two thoughts on this. Even if you're struggling or you're doubting today, he'll see you through the storm. You go, man, I I tell you what, I'm struggling. Well, you're normal. I'm doubting in the storm. You're normal. Verse 26 and 27, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They said, it is a ghost, and they cried in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them. He says three things that are incredible. He says, take heart, have courage. The last thing he says, don't be afraid. Have courage, don't be afraid. But here's the key to the whole thing. Jesus says, it is I. We sang about this a moment ago. Basically, Jesus was saying, it's the I am. It's me, the son of God. You're in the middle of the storm, and guess what? The son of God is in the middle of the storm with you. Is that not awesome? So I'm doubting, I'm scared, I'm confused. You are nothing but normal. You get in God's will, you stay close to him, and you know it never gets too hot in the furnace for Jesus. The waters never get too high, and the wind never gets too strong. What a wonderful thing to know that Christ is going to be with you in the middle of those storms and see you through it. In the first century, the Christians were treated horribly by the Romans. They said one of the passages that gave them hope was this passage. That in the middle of the storm, here comes Jesus. One of the other gospels says that when Jesus was up on the mountain, he could see. And let me tell you, Jesus can see you today. He sees you in the storm. He's with you in the storm. And lastly, I want to tell you this. Even when you mess up, if you'll let him, he'll see you through the storm. Even when you mess up. Verse 30 and 31, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, and he took Peter by the hair, and he held him underwater for a little bit, and he pulled him up and go, why'd you doubt me? Then he held him under a little bit longer, and he said, why'd you doubt me, Peter? Tell me, tell me. No, that's not what it says. It says he took Peter by the hand, and he pulled him in the boat. He says, oh, you have little faith. Why would you doubt? He's basically saying, Peter, 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 why, why didn't you just trust me? See, some of you this morning, you've created your storm. Come back to Jesus. Get your life right with him. Some of us are in a storm, and a lot of times when we're in a storm, we're even in the storm that God brought us into, but we mess up in the middle of the storm. That's okay. Just come back to Jesus. That word doubt means to stand at a crossroads. 
Maybe you're stood at that crossroad and you've taken the wrong route. Reroute yourself and come back to Jesus. But how comforting it is to know even when we're following God and we mess up, all we have to do is cry back out and he reaches his hand out to save us. Folks, I want to tell you, whatever storm you're going through, if you'll let him, he will see you through it. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, boy, I want to... I wanna tell you I love you. I want to tell you I'll pray for you. I want to tell you lean into Jesus. Lean into Jesus. Get your life right with him. Get in his will and lean into him. If you're not a Christian and you're ready today to give your life to Christ, you're ready to do that, I want you to pray with me. And just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. Before we stand, I want you to look at one last verse in this story. It's verse 33. It says, those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Folks, the word worship The word worship literally means to surrender or to prostrate yourself before someone. You see, when they saw Jesus walk on the water and deliver them and and deliver Peter, they surrendered to him. They worshiped him. You can worship when we sing. You can worship and preach him. But the most worshipful time of the service should be right now. Here's how you can worship. You just gave your life to Christ. Are you ready to? You come and cross that line with him this morning. The most worshipful thing is a person giving their life to Jesus. Come and do that. Maybe you're ready to join our church. If that's an act of obedience for you this morning, that is an act of worship. You ever thought about joining the church as worship? It is. You can join after church or you can come when we stand and join this morning. You come and do that. Christian, maybe you want to come and let us pray with you. Or you want to pray at the altar. Maybe where you're standing, you need to get things right with God. Or maybe you want to come get on your knees and say, God, I'm coming back to you in the storm or wherever I am in life. And I'm going to worship you and live for you. Let's stand. But by all means, let's respond to Christ this morning.